Take your Bibles tonight, please. Now, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 tonight. And uh, spend some time talking about heaven. And uh, it'd be more of a, I'm going to be honest, it'd be more of a Bible study tonight than it will be a preaching time in the, in the sense that uh, we will explore the Bible. And uh, we always explore the Bible, even in preaching. In preaching, you kind of draw out principles and applications. And tonight, I'm just going to give you some Bible teaching and some truth. And so let's look tonight at eternity. Luke chapter 16, perhaps in the New Testament, is, is one of the most famous passages of Scripture where the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about eternity. And so let's look at Luke chapter 16. Here, here's the thing. The Bible, the Bible is a book of life. That's what it's called, the book of, a book of life. And when we have our names recorded in a book of life. And so think about that. God desires for us to have life while we're living, to have abundant life. And when we pass from this earth, to have eternal life. That's his plan. And when God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden to have abundant life. Think about their surroundings. It was called what? Paradise. Well, what a wonderful place, a place that was called paradise. Imagine, matter of fact, uh, the ancients used to call a garden, a beautiful garden, they would call it paradise. That was their name for it. And I, I guess they were thinking of Adam and Eve. And he was created to have abundant life, but he was also created to have eternal life. Sin destroyed that. It took that eternal life from him. And if he had stayed in the garden, eventually he would have taken of the tree of life. But he didn't. And now we see that tree of life is now in the book of Revelation, right at the end of the Bible, and it says it's there being watered by that river that flows forth from the throne of God, and the nations of the earth can come and take freely because God has already redeemed us. He's brought us to heaven, and we can take of the tree of life and have eternal life. What a wonderful promise that we can have. But God has intended for us to have life, and because of sin, it was destroyed, and nothing has changed. For all of sin to come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. There's a penalty for sin. If we can boil down life to two things, it's just simply this. It is life or it is death. And that's what it is. And we need to understand that we want to be on the side of life, amen? But life comes through Jesus Christ. He is the water of life. He is the bread of life. And he's offered us the tree of life. And so we must come through Jesus Christ to have life eternal. There are several, several, several lies that exist to deceive men. Reincarnation. How many of you have heard about that? And some of the silliest things, well, when I, when I come back, I, I, I remember, it wasn't long ago, as a matter of fact, just a few years ago, I, I had uh, preached a funeral for a fella, and after a while, I went and followed up with the family, and, and uh, the lady said, well, I saw a bluebird, a bluebird on the back fence today, and she says, that was my son. Well, I don't even know what to say to that. No, I don't, I don't want to come back as a bird, but Whatever. And so we, we talk about those, those silly things. And when I come back, I want to come back as Ida's puppy dog. I'm going to tell you, that thing gets treated really well at our house. But reincarnation, a lie from the devil. And then we have this idea of, or there's people out there that have the idea that death is simply the end. That's what evolution teaches. You live, you die, you go to the grave, and there's nothing else. That's not true. I, I've told you about the church sign that I read in Hamilton uh, that what I believe is a Bible-preaching church, and I was surprised to see it. It said, atheists have no future, 
That's a lie. If we believe in a heaven and a real hell, atheists have a future. They just don't believe they do. That's the problem. And so there's the evolutionist idea that death is the end. There's the other extreme where somebody might say heaven is for everyone. Everybody that's born and lives on earth, we're all God's children. A universalist idea of salvation. I just went to a funeral for my aunt. Uh, She turned 100 a few weeks ago. She died this last week. And I went to her funeral, just the graveside service. And uh, Brother Paul was with me. And in just two, three minutes... (laughs) So much heresy, I don't know how you can cram so much heresy in two and a half minutes. I don't know how you can do it. But Christ died on the cross, so we're all going to go to heaven. Christ rose from the dead, so we're all going to be risen up. Amen, go home. And that was about it. It was just a lot of heresy all crammed into it. Doesn't the Bible say something about if we believe we shall have eternal life? And so there's something to do with faith in there. There's not this universal idea of salvation. And friend, if you are clinging on to that, just believing that Christ dying on the cross is enough, listen, the demons of hell believe and they tremble. We must have a personal faith in Jesus Christ and more than just a belief that he is, but a belief that he, a faith that, that regenerates our life and changes us, allows the Holy Spirit to come in and make us a new creature in Christ. That is saving faith. And, and then, of course, there's the atheist that doesn't believe in anything. And so there's all kinds of ideas about what eternity is, but they all come from the father of lies. To deceive, to mislead, But none of these lies have anything to do with Christ and his paying the price for our sins. So let's look tonight a little bit about eternity. I'm so glad that the penalty of sin has been paid for. The penalty of sin has been paid for. Uh, My ticket has been punched. Uh, I can sing these songs tonight because I am looking forward to heaven. I have an assurance. Uh, I believe this, and this might seem backwards or silly to you, but when Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, if I go to hell, that means he has to go with me. That's just how simple I am. I I just believe that even if I were cast into hell, he'd have to keep his word. And he's not going there. And so I have the very presence of the Holy Spirit in my life, and I know that God will take me to heaven when I die or when the trumpet sounds. Amen. I I hope so. The upper taker is better than the undertaker, as they say. When I have gone to funerals in the past, and, and I'll be honest, I have been guilty of it too, I have learned that we will say things that butcher doctrine in order to give comfort. I've seen it a hundred times. How many of you ever been to a funeral and say, well, they're walking on streets of gold today? Boy, that sounds nice, but is it biblical? Is it biblical? We're going to look at that tonight. Do you realize that we don't see streets of gold till Revelation chapter 21? After the resurrection? After the book of life is read? After those are cast in the lake of fire? It's very, very different. Somebody might say, well, they've got their heavenly body. They, they, they have no more pain. And I'm glad when, when you die, you'll have no more pain. There's no doubt in my mind. But they'll say something like, well, they have a glorified body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, that's not until after the last trumpet. Somebody might say, well, they've got their heavenly home. They've received their mansion. But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen, 
I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Has Jesus come again? Not yet. And so they're wonderful thoughts that bring us comfort, but are they biblical? Now you're saying, you're sitting here going, oh no, where do we go then when we die? What happens the moment I die? That's the question we want to try to answer tonight, all right? And I'm, I'm just going to put it out there, and I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't have all the answers. There is a veil covering my eyes of knowledge. One day that veil will be lifted, amen, as it will be with all of us. Death is still somewhat a mystery to us. That's why even believers at times fear death. Because there is a mystery involved. We, we just wonder and we hope, oh Lord, I hope my doctrine was right. I hope those things that I was holding to and believing all these years, I hope they're true. But let me say this, even if you are wrong, God is not. And God is faithful and God is true. And if he said he's going to save you, he will. So rest in him. But I will tell you this tonight and we'll look at it in a moment. I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself But even though I will show you different things about timing of different things that take place in the future as far as eternity is concerned, let me say this. Here's what I know. The moment you die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Who needs a mansion? You might get that mansion a thousand years from now. But if you were to die right now, you'd be with Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful promise? And so let's look at the word of God tonight. Luke chapter 16, look if you will in verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. Some would say that this is a parable. Others would say it's not a parable because he's talking about certain people. I want to tell you this, it doesn't matter. That doesn't change the truth of God's word one iota. Jesus said it, and I'm going to believe it. Amen? Verse 21, And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Verse 23, the Bible says, and in hell. That's the Greek word Hades, a place called Hades, and we'll talk about that tonight, so mark that in your mind. Verse 24, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So upon his death, he went to a place called hell, a place called Hades, and there was a place of a burning flame. Now, this is not the lake of fire. The Bible says in Revelation that death and hell will give up their dead, and if they're not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they'll be cast in the lake of fire. And so out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak, it just gets worse. But this place called Hades, where the rich man lifted up his eyes, he was in torment in a flame. Verse 25, but Abraham's son said, son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus will evil things, but now is he comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between you and us, 
between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So start to picture this in your mind. It'll save us some time later on. This place called Hades has, if you will, two compartments. One of them is a place of torment and flame. The Bible likens it a place called Gehenna. Gehenna was a garbage pit that smoldered night and day outside the city limits of Jerusalem. It was where the dogs would go and they would, they would eat of whatever they could find, but it was where the people burned garbage and that fire never went out. That's what this rich man was experiencing. Not the place Gehenna, the garbage dump, the ditch that was outside Jerusalem, but it was used as a picture to paint a picture in the Jews' mind that that was what this place called Hades was like. But then there's a great gulf affixed. I don't know what was in that gulf, if it was a river running through or what it might be, but there was some great gulf affixed that they could not cross back and forth. But there was an awareness of what was going on on the other side. If you ask me, that's just added torture. To be in a place of torment, a place called Hades, and to be able to lift up your eyes and see that beggar afar off, being comforted in paradise in Abraham's bosom. Torture. And the Bible says that on the other side was Lazarus. There's a great gulf fixed, verse 26, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. They can't help you. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Uh, It's a bit of a difficult study, and I pray that you keep our minds straight and our thoughts right. Lord, as we work our way through the scriptures, just show us tonight the importance of eternity and what it means. And I thank you for it. Lord, may the Spirit of God help us to teach us. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I believe the Bible is very clear that there is life beyond the grave. And I believe it happens immediately upon death. But often the place that we describe as what we know to be heaven is someplace that is afar off yet. And and I'm going to be honest with you, I kind of like that perspective. I like the idea that, that when the new Jerusalem comes down, the saints of all time will go in together. I like that. The, the Salvation Army like sing that song, When the Saints Go Marching In. And I believe that's what it's talking about right there. There'll be a time where all of God's people together will inherit the new Jerusalem. And that's often what we talk about. When we talk about streets of gold, we're talking about the new Jerusalem. When we talk about the river of life or the crystal sea, we're talking about the new Jerusalem. When we talk about gates of pearl, we're talking about that city that was built for square with 12 gates and each gate had a gate of one pearl. That's what we're talking about. And that's not until Revelation chapter 21. But what happens immediately when we die? The moment we close our eyes and we leave this sod, where are we? Well, I'm going to break it down into two things tonight. Number one, the immediate abode of those who die without Christ. 
the immediate abode of those who die without Christ. Now, I'm not going to go to the Old Testament tonight, okay? The Old Testament idea was a place called Sheol. And Sheol is the Old Testament Hades, if you will, and it was the realm of the dead. And uh, there does talk about a pit there and fire coming up from the pit and different things. But it's sufficient to say we have enough in the New Testament. We'll focus on there for the sake of time, okay? So let's look tonight at the immediate abode of those who die without Christ. The Bible says that the rich man died. And he lifted up his eyes in hell, being in torments. His passing from this life and death resulted in immediate passing into a place called hell. Now, the word Hades literally means the place of the dead. But the rich man lets us know that it is not just a place of sleep or slumber. It is not just a place of rest. It's not just a place to go and wait for the resurrection and wait for the future judgment to find out what happens next. He says, I'm in torment in this flame. Understand this, it is given unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. And immediate upon death, their fate is sealed. And the rich man went to a place called hell. Now I understand and I can see in scripture where people would get confused about the doctrine of purgatory. Because the Bible says the rich man went to a place called Hades and he was there in that place in torments in that flame. But later on, we will see in Revelation chapter 20 that death and hell will give up their dead. This place called Hades will give up their dead. And all that are therein will stand before God. And those people will think, well, hey, I just got out of purgatory. I just have been freed from this earthly cleansing, this, this, this temporal cleansing that makes me fit for heaven. But then they will find that their name is not in the book of life. And they'll be cast in like a fire at the final judgment. What a horrible, horrible thing. It's at that time that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Immediately, the rich man went to a place called Hades, this place of torment. We're reminded of that word, Gehenna, it is like a burning fire, the garbage pit that smoldered night and day outside of Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 16, he calls it hell. But look, if you will, in Matthew chapter 10. Keep your finger in Luke 16 and turn back to Matthew chapter 10. And we see another word there. The word Gehenna is also used there. But notice what it says about it. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Gehenna. That place of torment and fire. Now listen. If those that teach the doctrine of purgatory, the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory believe that they can get out of this place called purgatory with the Bible. I, I, would, I, I believe they're talking about Gehenna, and then one day they can avoid the lake of fire. The Bible says those that go to Gehenna have their body and their soul destroyed. There's nothing left to redeem. It is given unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Their fate has been sealed. It is a place of torment. And now, while Hades is not the final destiny of the unsaved, it is a place 
of punishment. Notice in Luke chapter 16, uh, the rich man says to Abraham, would you let Lazarus just dip the tip of his finger into that water? And he says, just bring me a little drink. He was in torments because he wasn't saved. Now turn, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 2. Have your Bibles ready tonight. We're going to turn around a little bit. 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to learn a little bit more here about the abode of the dead. When I say dead, I mean those without Christ. 2 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, listen to this, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment for what purpose? To be punished. The Bible talks about there's demons in hell tonight that are reserved in chains of everlasting darkness. The Bible says that when somebody dies in their sins, they will go to this place called Hades, and the Bible says the Lord knows how to reserve them there. He's going to keep them there. They're the unjust. And he's going to keep them unto the day of judgment. And then he says, what's going to happen next? Then they're going to be punished. Wow. It's as if it's not bad enough already. He said, I don't believe a God that loves people would do that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. You don't have to go there. But you can have everlasting life. You see, we need to be understand that this is not necessary if we will simply come to Jesus Christ. It's, it, it is not a time for the dead to get right. Judgment has already been determined. John chapter 6 verse 47 says, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. It is decided the moment you're saved that you have everlasting life. And if you die in your sins rejecting Jesus Christ, you are bound for eternity in this place called hell. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says this, In flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Those who die in their sins go immediately to a place called hell. One day they'll be delivered out of hell but cast into the lake of fire. What a horrible, horrible thing. Friend, you need to be saved. Don't, don't mess around with it any longer. If, if you're here tonight and you say, well, I, I, I think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved. Here, here's what we hear a lot. Have, have you ever trusted Christ? Yeah, yeah, I did that a long time ago. You did, you did that. You did that. That doesn't sound very deep theologically, does it? I remember taking testimonies one time, and I, and I was specific that night. I said, can you tell me about when you got saved? Tell me how you got saved. And a couple of people got up and said, well, I got saved. And they told three-minute thing about when they got saved, where they got saved. Another one did the same. And finally, another lady got up, and she said this. She said, the Lord saved me. And I went, ooh, that sounds different. Everybody else got saved, but she said, the Lord saved me. I'm not doubting their salvation, don't get me wrong, because we've all said it a thousand times, I got saved whenever. But I thought, there's something special about the relationship there that she knows the Lord saved her. Words mean something. Friend, you need to know Jesus. 
But look what happens for someone who's in Christ, the immediate abode of those who die in Christ. Now look back at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Actually, do this. Keep your finger there and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right? And then we're going to look at Philippians as well. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Find it and then turn. Once you've got that, stick your finger in there. All right? And then go over to Philippians chapter 1. It's just a few pages past 2 Corinthians. All right? Philippians chapter 1. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 8. They say, what happens when I die? Pastor, I need to know. I want to know tonight. What ha- if I were to go to bed and not wake up, where would I open my eyes? Verse 8. We are confident, I say. How, can I ask you something? Let me ask you this. How many times have you seen the word confident in the Bible? Not a lot. It's not there a lot, is it? But here the apostle says, I'm confident about something. This is something I'm sure about. Notice what he says. I am confident. uh, uh, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. For I am in a strait, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church of Philippi, Philippi. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul's confidence when writing to the Corinthians carried over to the point where he said, I'm, I'm in a strait, I'd love to go home. Because if I go home, I'll be with Christ, and that's far better. And so, though I cannot paint a picture tonight, and I want to show you that scripturally, I can't necessarily paint a picture of what heaven will look like the moment you die, I will tell you this. For those that die in Christ Jesus, knowing Christ is your Savior, the Spirit of God is in you. You will wake up in His presence. Hey, it don't get any better than that. There's nothing better than that. I think I've shared this with you a couple times, but one of my favorite, favorite songs, I don't get to hear it very often, uh, Pipe's Daughter Sue sings it, and just, just a great song. It's called, I'd Still Want to Go. If there were no mansions on the hills of glory, if there were no streets of gold. And then the, it goes on and talks all about heaven. It says, I'd still want to go, just as long as his face I see. Isn't, isn't that what we just sang about? What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Boy, it's wonderful that God has prepared so much for us. But the moment you die, you'll be in the presence of Christ. Now, let's, let's explore this a little bit further. The Bible says that Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He said, where is that? It's also called Abraham's bosom. That place, that realm of the dead, Hades, that we talked about, the great gulf of fixed, where Lazarus was lying in Abraham's bosom. He was at peace. He was at comfort. He was at rest. He was being ministered to. That that word bosom literally means to be ministered unto, to be taken care of. 
You'll remember that at the Last Supper, John rested upon the breast of Jesus. Jesus was ministering to him. And so we see that the Bible says that Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Uh, there's, there's these two different regions, these two different places with the great gulf affixed. Paul, the Bible says, he knew a man who was caught up into paradise. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4, he is reminded of that place. John said that the, those that overcome shall eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now listen, I believe when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the grave, the Bible says that he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts unto men. Acts chapter 2 verse 27 talks about that. Acts chapter 2 verses 32 and 33. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 8 through 10. And for the sake of time, we won't be able to read all of them. But you know the verse, he led captivity captive. And most scholars believe that that means Jesus Christ went and preached to those souls captive in hell. And he led those out of that place called paradise to be with him. Now here's the thing. You don't have to be a scholar to know that if you're hanging on a cross and Jesus says, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, that sounds pretty good. Paradise. John said, when I, I knew a man about 14 years ago and he was caught up into the third heaven into paradise, well, that sounds pretty good. How many of you, when I say paradise, you start picturing the, the white sand beaches of Hawaii or something like that? Some tropical island. Wouldn't that, I mean, that's what we think of, isn't it? This is paradise. Can I, can I get, oh, um, there's an English teacher sitting here. You ain't seen nothing yet. It gets better. I tell you about the young lady that died of cancer. And she told her pastor when they, when they put me in that coffin, she says, I want you to put a, a fork in my hand. Because grandma always used to say, keep the fork because the best part's coming, the dessert. Keep the fork. Uh, you haven't seen anything yet. He says, paradise. In Revelation, one day, he says, we will be taken up to that place and we'll all go into that city together and there we'll see that tree of life being watered by the river of life flowing out of the throne of God where God is seated upon that throne. And he says, it's paradise. When we get to Revelation chapter 21, I can describe some of it to you. So let's turn there tonight. Revelation chapter 21. John tells us in Revelation chapter 2 of this place called paradise. But at that point in his life, he still did not know what it looked like. He had not been taken through all the visions of Revelation yet. He just knew that those that overcome, well, go to the tree of life that is in the midst of the paradise of God. But just the fact that he could use that word, the word paradise literally means a place of splendor and glory. Revelation chapter 21, or 22, I'm sorry, turn over to 22. Well, I, I suppose we could read all of 21 and 22, we won't. I'm going to start in 21 and I'll jump over. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her, her husband. 
I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Jump down to chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I wonder why Adam and Eve wouldn't take of that tree. Why did you have to go to any other tree? It has 12 of its own, 12 different fruit. Amazing how they missed that. Verse 3, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which short, must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly, blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecies of this book. Heaven is a real place, but it's for a redeemed people. You say, what happens the moment I die? You will open your eyes in his presence. That's enough. That's enough. One day, he'll call your body out of the grave, a spiritual body. It'll be sown in corruption, but it'll be raised in incorruption. It'll be sown in dishonor, but raised in honor. You'll have a new body reunited with that soul, and the new Jerusalem will come down, and we'll enter in together into eternity to a place that is prepared for you and me. What a wonderful promise we have of heaven. And I, I, I'm just not dogmatic enough to say this is what exactly happens, but I know this. I'm so glad that the first thing I'll see is Jesus. I told you about evangelist Steve Allen, born blind. He says, the first thing I'll ever see in my entire life is Jesus. He says, I don't know. He said, I, I struggle to understand the mansion. He says, doors are to keep out thieves and robbers. There's none there. He says, walls are for privacy. We have no shame in heaven. A roof is to keep off the rain and the elements. There's none of that. The Lamb of God is the light. And he says, if I do get a mansion, go ahead and put a vacancy sign on it because I'll be down at the throne. That's where I'm spending my days in the presence of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wonderful promise of heaven. Lord, I'm so glad that if I pass from life unto death, immediately upon the other side, I'll be present with the Lord. It's interesting how Paul never really talked about a mansion never concerned himself with those things. Instead, he looked forward to just seeing Jesus. Father, may that always be our focus. And Lord, one day we will have all those other things, the mansion, the heavenly city. 
we'll get to see all the wonderful sights in the New Jerusalem. Lord, I pray as the Christians hope that Jesus would be enough. We're not looking to reap wealth and prosperity in heaven, but instead we're looking to gain the presence of Christ. So I pray that you just comfort us with these thoughts tonight. We look so forward to meeting you face to face, to know and to be known, to be reunited with loved ones. So Father, comfort us with these thoughts tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Let's sing. God has spoke to your heart. Maybe there's one here who said, I'm just not sure I'm ready for heaven. If I were to die, I don't know that I'd see Jesus. I use words like I hope so or I think so. Would you be surprised to know that you can know? These things have I written unto them that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know for sure. It's a promise of God. And for those that believe, those that have overcome, you can take of the tree of life. But you must know Jesus. Can we help you tonight? Is there one? Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm saved.